Hi, everybody, and welcome to the CIO House View monthly live stream. Glad to be with you today. It is Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. I'm Anthony Pastore, your host for this next 30 minutes of a great conversation with my two CIO colleagues, Leslie Falconio and Nadia Lovell. As always, we always appreciate hearing from you, so please make sure to ask a question if you have one by clicking the Ask a Question button that's right there on your screen to allow you to engage with myself, with Leslie, and with Nadia during today's discussion. We're gonna open up the lines in just a couple of seconds to Q&A, and then we'll be answering those questions here on the air. Hopefully we'll get to all of them, but if not, we will encourage you to speak with your financial advisor at UBS if you do have any additional questions that we don't get to here today. So uh, first of all, thank you both for being here. It's good to see you on this uh, August summer day um, with temperate uh, temperatures here in the city, but there's a lot of heat in other places interesting times. But even more interesting, Nadia, is looking at what's happening with the equity markets. I mean, it has been rally, rally, rally. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what's fueling this rally. And do you think, in your view, that this can continue from here? Yes, Anthony. You know, of course, we've had a powerful rally. And technically, the S&P has reached that technical threshold for what is considered a bull market of over 25% off of the October low. And what's been fueling this rally has been a number of things. You know, first, you have had economic growth really surprised to the upside. In fact, what you have seen in the first half of the year, you have GDP that is trending above 2% after last week when we got, you know, second quarter GDP and the preliminary numbers coming in at about 2.4%. Now, remember, at the start of the year, many people thought that by now the U.S. would be in a recession where you see GDP sort of contract and unemployment spike. So with better economic data, those recession fears have faded. Then you also have a Fed that is at or near the end of its hiking cycle um, because that's been underpinned by very encouraging sign in terms of disinflation. Now, inflation, it seems that it's going to be on this more gradual path down towards the 2% target, maybe within the next year. Our core view is that you're likely to see headline PCE, which is the Fed's preferred measure, come into just under 3% by the time we get to the end of the year. We also think that last week, that 25 basis points hike that you saw from the Federal Reserve is probably the last hike of this hiking cycle. You also had tremendous enthusiasm around artificial intelligence. So all of these things together have come together to fuel this rally and cause a repositioning in the equity market. You have seen um, positioning that was light at the start of the year now come in line to sort of more neutral and even in some cases a slight overweight. You've seen investor sentiment really improve. You have an investor community that now feels like it's more willing to step in and buy those dips than to really feed the rally. Now, in terms of to your question of where do we go from here and can this rally continue? In all honesty, Anthony, when you look at this market, there's a lot of enthusiasm that's already priced into this market. The market is really pricing in a soft landing at this point. You know, you have a forward PE multiple that's now at 19 and a half times. That is high in a historical context. But even let's take it back even nearer term in terms of this is sort of the same multiple that we saw at the start of the hiking cycle back in March of 2022, right? This was a period when rates were 525 basis points lower, and also there was less uncertainty around the economic outlook. Now, 
recession rates might have faded, but we still think that there will be a period of subtrend economic growth. We are actually looking for GDP in the second half of the year to be under 1%. By the time you get to the end of the year, you could have a GDP that's closer to 0%. So how do we view the market? We think that we're likely now probably more in a range-bound market. It does feel that we're at the high end of that range right now. We do expect some choppiness in the market from here near term because, of course, we're in the month of August and September. And the historically, that those months have seen higher volatility uh, in the market and tends to be weaker. That said, Anthony, we are not calling for any sort of major pullback from here, just given the momentum behind the economy right now. It feels like the risk of a large pullback has certainly diminished. Even with tech, even with tech kind of being the tide that has lifted all boats, not expecting much of a strong pullback, even if tech decides or tech takes a little bit of a dip, or will it, is the expectation. Now, you've already seen tech take a little bit of a dip um, in the last uh, a couple of weeks, and your market is still holding it. It's about those laggers that are really catching up. Right. Because you mentioned AI being a real driving force behind a lot of the gains we've seen in these major tech firms. But let's also just back it up just a little bit and maybe broaden it, because we're in the midst of earnings season, even though we're more than halfway through, more than 50% of the companies that have reported have done so already. But we've seen a number of companies report some positive earnings upsides. What are your takeaways so far? Well, Anthony, I wouldn't write home and get excited too much about the beats that we have seen so far. <laughs> Why? Expectations were really low, and the bar for consensus SMS has really come in quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so while companies are beating expectations, and we're nearly through, we're in the late innings of earnings, of course, let's acknowledge we do have two mega cap companies that will report after the close, and they represent about 10% of the S&P market cap. But earnings are actually coming in roughly in line with our expectations. We were initially expecting earnings to decline about 3 to 5% this quarter. We're sort of right in the mix of, of that right now. What we've heard throughout the earnings season, I would say, though, Anthony, is that the consumer remains quite strong, quite resilient. However, spending is becoming more measured. You know, think about the service side of the economy, where there's still some pent-up demand, and so you're continuing to see some spending around travel, leisure, restaurants, and so forth. Now, uh, we're also seeing some signs of stabilization in the weak demand trend that we had been seeing around some of the COVID beneficiaries that had demand pull forward a lot in the early years of COVID, specifically PCs, cloud computing, digital advertising, and even some parts of healthcare. Now, how do we think about like the second half of the year? Uh, right now, it does feel like the second quarter might be the trough in the earnings. Remember, S&P earnings have been in contraction territory, so technically an earnings recession since the end of last year, Q4. Uh, when we look at the second half of the year, we do think that the consensus expectations for mid-single-digit growth is looking a little bit more reason, just given the momentum behind the economy right now. But when we get to 2024, the consensus is right now looking for double-digit earnings growth, and it remains to be seen if that's going to happen, particularly when we have a period of self-trend economic growth ahead of us. Right, and as we transition to talking about fixed income with Leslie, just as a reminder, in CIO, the, exp the, the preference, excuse me, the preference is ec uh, fixed income over equities, equities, particularly in the U.S. Yes, right. that is correct. Which we're going to get into, into more detail in a moment. Nadia, thank you. Leslie, let's bring you in because let's switch from equities to fixed income. Uh, it's been a wild ride on that side of the house as well. Uh, as we know, Nadia just kind of referenced the Fed. We expect the base case here in CIO is that the Fed, central banks around the globe are going to keep rates elevated and perhaps start cutting next year. But 
if we don't get any cuts this year, what does that do to the 10-year Treasury, which we're already seeing the yields on the 10-year come up? Two years are starting to actually decline. We're looking at a continued inverted yield curve, but things are starting to shift. So what's going on? Well, I mean, the market hasn't priced in a cut for this year in actually quite some time. And I think that's really important to, you know, sort of um, observe because, because whether or not the Fed goes, say, one more time in November, another 25, that incremental 25 basis point rate hike is not going to make a huge amount of difference to interest rates or the mm -hmm. consumer. But what will make a difference in terms of thinking about 10-year yields is what the market is expecting in terms of the Fed pivot. And what we know is that the, the market has actually priced out that easing in 23 <clears throat> almost a couple months ago. And we actually really never thought that they would ease in 23. But now when you look forward, what it's done is that it's really started to price out the easing in 2024. And what I mean by that is if you look at even the first week of July, for example, you know, the market was pricing in almost 160 basis points of easing in 2024. That's down to about 120 basis points this morning. And when you think about the Fed's projection, which is 100, they're starting to converge. Right. So when, when you know, Nadia talks about the, the enthusiasm in equity, what we're seeing right now in the fixed income market, particularly in the 10 year Treasury yield, is what I call a bit of bearishness. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that we've always been of the ilk that you don't chase the market. Right. We never want to chase the market. We had this range of three and a half to four percent. You know, we started adding in at about 395, you know, with the caveat that, of course, you can go over 4% in this type of environment with the cloudiness of the data. It's really a question of it being sustained. So when you think about what's priced in now is not only that do we have, you know, the removal of easing in 23, we have the removal of easing in 24, we have a BOJ that just lifted yield curve control, we have supply of a trillion dollars coming in the quarter that's, that's the second largest in history, and we also have a downgrade by the Fitch. So there's a lot of this bearishness that's priced into the marketplace. Now, that doesn't mean that tomorrow's non-farm payroll number can't come above consensus. Of course it can, right? And you could see that maybe move higher, even from the 418 today. But as you know, Nadia pointed out, our outlook for GDP is 1% or less than 1%. So at the end of the year, we still anticipate tender yields to come down to trend lower, probably around the 3.5%. And when it comes to the shape of the curve, which has really been the most volatile, because that's really dictated by the shift in sentiment of what the Fed's going to do going forward, mm -hmm. right? And because they've priced out, you know, some of this easing, one might think that the yield curve would shift to more of a flattener, but given the supply, we've steepened, right? So now we're down two tens, went from a negative 110 basis points to negative 70 today. It's still a negative. We've been calling for a steepener in the second half of the year, and we still think that'll occur, but we don't believe that the curve will be positive sloping. Right. So that'll be an, it, something that happens in 2024 when the Fed actually does start easing, whether it's March or May. Yeah. I mean, but, like, kind of building off of this sentiment of the Fed, you know, certainly not cutting this year, maybe even raising 25 basis points in November, if that's the case, the, you know, sentiment has maybe adjusted itself to this view that there will be a soft landing. Uh, obviously, tomorrow's jobs report will be uh, an indicator. We're going to really be looking especially at wage growth or decline, as the case may be, because that might be an indication that people are going to be willing to pay the extra prices for goods and services, and we'll have to see what that looks like. But what pockets of vulnerability, Leslie, do you see over the next five months or so? I mean, could spread it, you know, credit spreads start to widen a little bit? What if inflation drops more suddenly than we expect? What could happen there? I mean, there's a couple of, of pockets that are both bearish and bullish. When you think about what's priced in right now, mm -hmm. given the fact that, you know, we have everyone leaning towards the soft landing camp, right? Really, the market's readjusted, sentiment has shifted. You know, the, the, that issue is that, 
you know, when we think about what's very difficult for uh, strategists to really know what restrictive is or what neutral really means until you pass it. And if, in fact, the economy slows in the second half of the year much more than what we're expecting, you have several negative payrolls, that could be one that's a pocket of vulnerability that leads that 10-year yield down more than what we're anticipating, mm -hmm. right? On the same account, you know, you could also have one where the current decline in inflation today is transitory and it starts to move up. Right? If, in fact, inflation starts to move up in the second half of the year more than what was anticipated, whether it's be because of strong housing or oil or gas, whatever it might be, then that could also be a pocket of vulnerability in terms of, guess what, the Fed's not done with just another 25. Right. But when you think about the credit spreads, and I think this is important, particularly in this cycle, is that you know, when you look at previous expansions, it's, it's always been by like you know, debt growth, um, aggressive lending, overinflated asset prices within credit, and this time, that's not the case, right? You know, it's been about employment. And I do think that we do believe that credit spreads are tight in the lower credit quality. We have seen them, you know, come out a little bit given the volatility. We don't expect them to spike in terms of the point where it's a going to be a credit issue, but we do think that they will trend wider. Good. Thank you, Leslie. Um, I'm going to take a little about an unorthodox turn because there was a question that's already come in from the audience that kind of fits nicely in with what we're already talking about, Leslie. And the question says, why have soft landing or recession risks faded if the Fed hikes haven't been fully felt yet and real consumer spending is falling? Any thoughts on that? Because I feel like it relates exactly to what we're talking about here. Well, I mean, you kind of go with that no landing kind of scenario. It's really yeah. difficult to know um, in terms of consumer spending. I mean, consumer spending might be falling, but it's still incredibly strong. And that's been really the caveat of this entire cycle is really underestimating the amount of cushion the consumer has. Mm -hmm. and, and I've said this before many times here, and I'll, and I'll you know, reiterate. When people think about, we know the, the biggest driver to GDP is the consumer. The biggest debt to the consumer is their mortgage debt. And we know that about 70% of those have 4% mortgage rates are locked in, right? So people really underestimated the extra cash they had on hand to go pay for a flight or an expensive dinner or whatever it might be. And it's really difficult to know mm. when that actually starts to drain and what amount it needs to drain by. So that's really, the, I think, that the difficulty that we're seeing now in the sort of post-pandemic era. Got it. Great. Thank you for saying. Yeah, go ahead, Nadia. Add to that as well. I mean, part of it is that the job market has remained so strong. Mm -hmm. You know, unemployment still remains very historically low. The job opening still remains strong. Um, yes, they've come in a little bit, but you still have over 9 million job openings in the economy. And so that security in the ability to have a job or to get a job, even if you get displaced, has caused the consumer to have that propensity to continue to spend. And so I think that's why you've seen some of the recession fears get pushed out. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you for the question to whoever sent that in. And by the way, if you do have a question, please send it in. Click the Ask a Question button right there on your screen. I do want to pivot for one second, and, and Leslie, we'll stay with you for, for the moment. Um, and Nadia, I'm going to ask you for a follow-up. We know that Fitch, uh, within the last couple of days, uh, downgraded uh, U.S. debt uh, from a AAA to a AA+, citing various reasons. Um, is this, would you say, a noteworthy event for... The markets, particularly, obviously, the fixed income side, the question goes to you, Nadia, I'll ask you about equities after that. What does this mean for markets, if anything? You know, I don't really think it means a lot. I mean, deterioration of the standard of governance is one of those things that, you know, it's not that there was this big surprise, but I really think there were other variables yesterday that were influencing interest rates higher. 
such as you know stronger EDP, mm -hmm. you know a large, very large supply. You know I don't think that you ignore it, but what one of the, what's important is that when you think about one of the biggest buyers of U.S. Treasuries are like commercial banks, and they have you know risk weightings, risk-based capital weightings. U.S. Treasuries are still at zero percent, right? When you look at things such as the CFTC, the the Commodities Futures Commission, or the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. You know, they still look at what the Treasury is, not what the third party is viewing them at. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when the issue comes is when all of a sudden someone's going to have to pay a higher margin for a Treasury, right? Those kinds of things. That will impact the repo market. That's not what we're seeing right now, right? So it really is not, in our opinion, that big of an issue. And frankly, if you didn't have those other variables, such as supply in ADP yesterday, you wouldn't see interest rates go up as much simply by Fitch. Right. But, but the fear generally, if there's a downgrade of U.S. debt, is that people are going to start selling their treasuries, right, which could lead to more issues. Is that, I mean... That's it, actually an interesting thing. It really depends because it goes, one, you would think that, right? right. If I'm a foreign holder, like, like Japan's the largest for, uh, holder of U.S. treasuries, if there's a downgrade, you might want to think you go out. But if the equity market really starts to correct, then you have a flight to quality. So it's not, that's not a def definitive that it goes up. It really depends. Great. Thanks for clarifying that, Leslie. So Nadia, on the equity side, similar thing with Fitch. Is there an impact to the equity side of the market? I think it alluded to what Leslie said earlier. You did see some sort of a risk off yesterday, but there were a number of factors that really drove that. We think that ultimately what is going to drive this market is the outlook for corporate earnings, which so far in the second quarter, again, is coming in with it in line with our expectations. You're also going to be the consumer, which remains healthy, and the overall economy. And what the Fed does, the Fed is still threading this needle and trying to get us to our soft landing. And so we do think that those are ultimately the things that are going to drive the market. Uh, as I said earlier, after the close, we'll get reports from two large tech companies. And then tomorrow, we'll get the job market numbers, the payroll numbers. We'll see if the job market still remains strong. It's pointing to that. And then next week, we'll get CPI. Those are the things that are, we think that are ultimately going to drive this market. Great. Thank you, Nadia. Uh, great. So let's continue on here. Um, Nadia, staying with you here for a moment. And actually, we did get a question in from the audience as well. So uh, we're all thinking the same thing. Tech and AI-related names. This person asked how are we thinking about mega cap stocks. And they call it the Magnificent Seven. We call it the Surging Seven. Whatever they want to call it. <laughs> we are the Magnificent Seven. So um, I just wanted to ask you, given what we know of tech, which we alluded to earlier in our conversation, what areas of the market do you see maybe leading going forward over the next six to 12 months? And what areas maybe are you perhaps avoiding? Yeah. I know CIO has a preference for value over growth right yeah. now. Give us a little bit more color on that. Yeah, so I'll address your question and then rope in this question Beautiful. about tech as well. Um, of course, we know it has been the magnificent seven that has driven much of the performance in the first half of the year. But I will say more recently, you're starting to see that rally broaden out. In fact, what you have seen is that the rally since June has been led more by the cyclical areas of the, of, of the market. You know, in our second half outlook, we had been advising really trying to take opportunity and seeking opportunities in some of the laggards in, in the market. Market. So from a sector standpoint, that has meant for us energy as well as industrials, for example. You know, specifically on energy, we actually re-upgraded energy back in June because we thought that the risk-reward looked quite attractive here. And a lot of that ha uh, hinges on our positive outlook for Brent oil. We think that ultimately Brent oil will get to $90 per barrel by the end of the year. And what's driving that is that you're now seeing some tightness in the supply market, specifically the OPEC cuts are taking effect 
uh, the OPEC plus cut has led to outputs being at the lowest level in about three years. You're also going to probably see the oil market tighten even further because Saudi Arabia will implement um, another uh, million barrels a day cut in August. And headlines this morning suggest that that will be extended into September. So we think that that will ultimately support oil prices and the overall um, energy equity. Now on industrials, industrials really have been benefiting from uh, elevated backlog that's now being worked out because supply chain constraints have ease. Um, this is happening at the same time that you're also seeing a meaningful pullback in the input costs for some of these industrial companies. So that's really helping from the margin standpoint. And if you've been taking a longer term view, some of those secular tailwinds are really benefiting in the space right now. Of course, we have the infrastructure law and um, that's now also helping an increase in uh, infrastructure spending as well as increase in spending around reshoring, energy efficiency, automation, defense, all of these things we think will be nice tailwinds to industrials. Uh, now, in terms of tech, uh, while we had been concerned about the elevated valuation in tech, and we still are, um, we continue to recommend cycling out of those highly cyclical areas of tech that has performed very well this year. More specifically, um, areas like semiconductors. Um, and rotating into the more defensive, uh, durable areas of tech where you're seeing a higher portion of reoccurring revenue. So talking about software and services. Now, at the end of the day, software and services areas of, of tech is going to benefit as well from um, AI in terms of product in, in, uh, integration that's really going to help drive productivity gains over the longer term. So it's more taking a very measured approach in tech. It's not saying to completely uh, avoid tech, but it's really an opportunity to rebalance the portfolio and your exposure to tech and think about do you have too much exposure to the highly cyclical areas of tech that could see a pullback and using that opportunity to, to, to be on the more defensive side of tech. Terrific. Just as a quick follow-up, Nadia, if rates are expected to remain high, does that kind of maybe provide a little bit of limited room for valuations in stocks? And also, if, would earnings be at risk if economic growth decelerates a little bit more? Absolutely. You know, I think last year, particularly around tech, there was a lot of concern about uh, higher rates and what that meant for valuation. It did pressure valuation. You've seen less of an impact this year so far. And again, a lot of it has to do with the enthusiasm around AI and the ability to that protect, potentially lead to a, uh, earnings acceleration in the sector and therefore those companies being able to grow into their valuation. Now it remains to be seen. We're still in the early innings of uh, AI monetization. Now, in terms of any sort of economic pullback and what that could mean for earnings, absolutely, it would be a negative headwinds for earnings. If we do end up in any sort of a recession, historically, with the kind of earnings pullback that you normally see is in the mid-teens range. Now, we don't think that that's going to happen. We think that uh, the economy does remain on strong footing. Even though we might be see a, a bit of a slowdown, we are not necessarily calling for a full-blown recession at this point. Terrific. And by the way, a, a little bit of a shameless plug and maybe a little bit of an educational here. For those of you out there who are confused about AI, exactly what it is or what it does, or why it matters. We're actually doing a series here, the summer of AI. We're going to flash the address. Oh, there it is. Well, the people in the control room are the best. They're so quick. Thank you, everybody. Um, it's a great series. We're going to do part four next week on a live show, but we've talked to some really smart and 
really intelligent folks on investing in it, what it is, how it works. It's been educational for me to sit here and host these things. I learn a lot. But uh, since Nadia has been mentioning AI-related you know, sort of names within tech and it's really driving the market performance, it's good to know what those are. Anyway, there you go. Shameless plug from CIO. Um, Leslie, um, we have a few more audience questions coming in. But before we go to those, um, you know, the, the lower credit quality and fixed income has sort of led to this outperformance in 2023, especially alongside senior loans, for example. Um, but we've, we, meaning CIO, has remained neutral on these sectors. So the question is, um, with the likelihood of a recession maybe diminishing, has your allocation shifted a little bit? You know, do you recommend other names now, given where we see this going? No, I mean, we still, we still are neutral senior loans and both high yield. You know, it's simply because, not that we expect this catalyst, we just think spreads are simply too tight. And they've been, they've been too tight. The investor's not compensated for the potential risk if there is if there is a recession. And here's a perfect case in point. If you look historically, when the Fed pauses, you know, defaults actually don't peak until about a year after that. That's why they ease, mm -hmm. right? So you have you have actually have high yield defaults that keep going up. Now again, we're not expecting a catalyst in high yield. We're coming from a very low base. It's really a question of being compensated for that kind of risk. And frankly, given the carry that and the yield that you're getting in higher quality, you should go to the higher quality. However, one thing that we did do, as you know, in May, is that we shifted a bit in terms of pure higher quality to a little bit more of a hybrid, such as preferreds, right? And in that sector, we felt you can get you know get carry and price appreciation because of the headwinds that they faced in March and during that financial instability. Right, given so, since then, preferreds have actually performed relatively well. well. Yeah, they've done well. And, and I think that, too, I mean, again, you know, the higher for longer will have an impact on loans. Um, you, you respect the yield that you have. You mm -hmm. don't want to, you know, what I call short that kind of yield. It'd be very difficult to make up right now. Um, but we do think they widen out. And we, you know, we think that they were going to widen out at the end of the year. Again, not a catalyst level, but it wouldn't be surprised to see 50, 75 basis points wider. Right. So a little bit more defensive, higher quality, given that inflation has been steadily cooling, is That's what you're correct. recommending. Terrific. Great. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah. All right. So we have a couple more questions that have come in. So thank you to our audience for doing so. Um, Nadia, this question I'll punt over to you. People are asking just about general thoughts on where we are with the U.S. dollar. It's been a lot of activity and certainly some questions surrounding currencies. What are your thoughts? You know, so we have seen the dollar come off of its multi-decade high. As you might recall, last year it did hit multi-decade high, and even all-time high against certain currencies. Now you've seen it sort of strengthen recently um, back up again. But we do think that ultimately the dollar is going to remain weak. And that's because partly, as I mentioned earlier, we do think that we're probably at the end of the Fed hiking cycle, while other developed market central banks are still probably have one or two more interest rate hikes to go. So interest rate differentials are will narrow. Um, ultimately, we also think that uh, you want to be exposed to some other currencies um, and take that opportunity. We do prefer like the euro as well as the Japanese yen. Um, I think from an equity standpoint, remember last year, the strength of the dollar was a headwind to equities. Uh, remember, uh, close to 40% of S&P er, uh, revenues are coming from overseas. And last year, we saw that to be uh, about a 300, 400 basis points headwind to S&P earnings. And for some uh, tech companies that had larger exposure to uh, outside of the U.S., we saw that be over 500 uh, basis points headwind. And so you could see that actually the weaker dollar be a bit of a tailwind for those companies that have a lot of non-U.S. Uh, non exposure. Terrific. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you for the question to our audience. Leslie, uh, I'm, I'm going to throw this one to you, asking about the TIPS market, which for those who don't know that acronym, it's Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. And they're asking, when you look at real yields versus nominal yields, is there still value in TIPS? 
You know, it's really interesting because, and this is sort of what we were talking about before, nominal yields are, you know, not above the highest of the year, right? But the real yields are not. They're actually lower. So and just do, do a quick so, tutorial. So, right. So what's a real yield? A real yield is your nominal yield minus your inflation expectation. There we go. So what is, how do you get that? How do you right. get a nominal yield that's higher, but a real yield that's actually lower than it was just two weeks ago? Inflation expectations mm -hmm. are rising. And I think it's really important to note that, and this is what we talked about earlier in regards to the pocket of vulnerability, is the fact that there have been some increases in inflation expectations, you know, in that sort of back end. And that's why, you know, we've always believed that the Fed is not going to pause pivot really quickly in 23. They need to see that inflation continues to come down. And by the way, I'm not talking about hitting their 2% inflation target, which they don't even actually believe they're going to hit until 2025. Right, exactly. But just in fact, you don't have this reversal back up. So when it comes to real yield side, I actually like real yields. You know, five-year real yields today are about 205. They were 225 a couple weeks ago. Again, nominal yields are higher today, right? But, but the inflation is just greater. So one of the things that we're looking about is, is thinking is that um, we like these real yields. We want to be opportunistic about it. But you might have a little bit of volatility in the next couple months. OK. Yeah. And, and we'll piggyback on that a little bit, because another question just popped in. If a soft landing or no landing into next year is possible, does it give investors an opportunity to extend maturities and possible start looking at short duration high yield, for example? Yeah, I mean, within our, within our neutral rating, again, we're neutral, right? We're neutral high yield. We're neutral senior loans. I mean, the short end of the yield curve is where you should be looking. The only advice in terms of the high yield sector, the only advice I always give to that is, you know, within the high yield, you got to pay attention to your dollar price. That's all. I mean, you know, it's really important if you're buying something that is a high yield credit, just, you know, just pay attention to, you know, you're not in the high 90s or mid 90s or something like that, given the fact of the rating. But we like that. We like that part of the curve within that neutral rating. Excellent. High yield. Excellent. Great. We've got about 40 seconds left. So thank you, audience, for these terrific questions. Really thoughtful. Uh, and thank you to Leslie Falcone and Nadia Lovell, my two terrific and amazing colleagues from the Chief Investment Office. Good to be with both of you today. Thank you for all of your insights that you're sharing with us today. Good to see you. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll ask you to do the same. So we hope that you will enjoy the rest of your summer. That's all the time we have for, for our show for today. So thanks for spending some time with us. Our next CIO monthly live stream will take place on Thursday, September 7th at the same exact time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. If you haven't figured it out yet, it's the first Thursday of every month. And so we'll be back with you right after Labor Day. Um, so until then, we will ask you to continue to uh, check out all of our blogs, our videos, our podcasts, our reports, and we will do the same by keeping you updated on what's going on in the markets through those House View publications from the Chief Investment Office. And as always, we encourage you to please continue this conversation with your UBS financial advisor. Until next time, I'm Anthony Pastore from New York City. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Have a great rest of your summer, and we'll see you in September. Thanks, everybody. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.